Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hello, welcome to Good Job, where we interview inspiring people from the music industry. We follow their journey from their very worst job to present day and find out what makes them them. That was our guest singer-songwriter Morgan James roaring us into the episode. She was inspired by a cute litter of kittens she was fostering. Morgan James is an incredibly talented and versatile singer who's worked in a variety of genres from opera to soul and on Broadway and I have to tell you I went to see her last UK tour and it was one of the best things I have ever seen live so you can imagine I was super excited when I got to meet and chat with her. Because the the younger self really sneaks in and says you can't do that you weren't accepted in that world like you're not gonna be able to do that you know so walking out of that and saying I I did that felt really good her episode is candid it's incredibly beautiful to hear her talk about her challenges her fears and her desires but it is also uplifting as we hear about how she has navigated the music industry how she champions women artists and how she is ultimately striving to be the best version of herself that she can be we start the podcast the same way every time what has been your very worst job Service industry in New York City is very, you know, I think it's something everyone should have to experience, but it doesn't make it fun. And uh, I particularly remember, you know, because I'm pretty little and yet they don't they don't care that you have to wear a tux and you have to drag the biggest bags of and boxes and it's manual labor, you know, it was flexible as an actor trying to be an actor. So I had to cater because that was the only flexible job. And I particularly remember the very last day I ever catered that I was like, if I have to move home and quit and leave my dream, I'm never catering again. It's like, I was at a big fancy party where like all these luminaries and actors were there. And I was carrying like a garbage bag, the size of my body. And it was full of like wine bottles and beer bottles and liquid and disgusting. And by the time I got outside, it was going to, I knew it was going to explode like and drag through the party. And I was just like, I have to just leave. I can't walk back in there now. Like I can't ever do this job again. It was just like hauling garbage, serving rich people when you're, you're the height of poverty. And it, it changes the way you look at anybody in the service industry, anybody who is unkind to waiters and bartenders, I don't take kindly to that. People in the service industry are just treated like they're less than. Ugh, and it's very frustrating for me. What point in your life was that? Could you have imagined where you are now at that point in your life? Were you aiming for this? You know, I wasn't aiming for where I am now. That's for sure. I always had the the idea that I was going to, you know, get out of it and rise above it. That's what gave me the motivation to keep going every day was someday I won't have to do this job. And it, it was all other artists and actors and singers and musicians, which is comforting to be in. You're still in your artist community. It's just you're all waiting tables and tending bar and all that. But I, I don't think I could have anticipated where I am specifically. I mean, like you worked in MT and then now you're doing your own music. How did this come about? 
Well, like I always like to say, necessity is the mother of invention. And I found out that I could sing this other way uh, by virtue of the fact that I wasn't getting work as a soprano. And I wasn't really being accepted into the career and the community that I wanted to be accepted in, which was musical theater, or at least for the time being, I wasn't. And, um, you know, I turned to these other genres in sadness and <laughs> despair and, 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 and as a way to try to find a community that I, that I would thrive in. And, you know, that's how I found, you know, singing with wedding bands and singing in bars with live music and teaching myself to belt and find this whole other side of my voice. That's, it all came in this time right after college, you know, my 23 to 29. That's when that all of that really, really came to the surface. Because the style that you sing in now to the outside listener sounds just exactly how you've always sung yeah I don't feel like that's probably true I feel like you have probably many different voices as you say or many different styles do you feel like any one of them is you well I do think that the sound I use now for my own music with my own band is authentically me you know, at the beginning, imitation is so common and, and so natural, you know, so of course I would imitate people I admired at first. And then there came a time when I had to kind of really break through and start to have an authentic voice of my own. And I think that that is what I use now. I think that I really rejected the classical side of my voice, my soprano, my trained voice. Um, I would hear recordings or I would sing in that voice and I would like, I would reject it. I would say, oh, I don't like that. That's not me anymore. And over the years and my continuing to train, I've grown to love that voice again. Like that's my child's voice. That's the voice that really discovered she loved to sing and joined a choir and, and got into Juilliard and, and embracing her and accepting her, that other Morgan was really, really important. And so I like them both now. Now I, I go to my lessons and I usually sing classically in my lessons. And I'm just so much easier on myself and so much less mean to myself. And I I have a lot of voices inside these little courts, you know? And I think that now they all kind of live in harmony. Pardon the pun. Do you find that the voice that you have grown with in your music is something that's been instinctual or something that you've done in a conscious way? I think that I had a natural soulfulness. I don't think you can teach soulfulness. There's certain things about the way I sing and the music that I love that you can't necessarily teach someone to do. You can't, you can help someone's time or someone's pitch a little bit, you know, obviously, but you cannot teach someone how to sing soulfully or teach someone how to like, if someone can't sing in a pocket or doesn't feel these certain rhythms or certain things that are um, native to soul music or the blues, it's very hard to teach that. But over the years, I've been digesting so much music that I think that it all rubbed off on me. And that's why I have the, uh, you know, I, I would hope that's why that I have the depth of knowledge in that kind of music that I do. When I first started singing with a band, I was all over the place. I was really, I was singing every genre under the sun and I was just loud and too many riffs and too much this. And it was just, it was a lot. It was like every ingredient was in this, the pot of soup. I had to start taking ingredients out and honing in on what I really wanted the dish to be. 
And I think that's natural when you're starting anything. You just, I think a lot of times with young people, I really just hear them using all their skills at once in every single song. And I think that comes with maturity and life that you learn to pare back and be more subtle and be more um, selective. What do you think makes a great singer? I always say tone is the name of the game. It's all about tone. I think that tone, I think that there are a lot of really skilled singers that don't have good taste. Mm-hmm. And it bothers me. <laughs> oh, wow. They have an amazing instrument. I wish they didn't do you know, a riff on every single note and every single line. I think that I've become much more of a devotee or a worshiper of the lyric the older I get. Mm-hmm. And I really, really love when someone has the confidence and the wisdom to sing a pure melody with beautiful tone and shaping the lyric. I think that that's, it doesn't get much more perfect than that, no matter what genre you're in. What are the similarities and differences between all the different genres that you have sung in? Great songs exist in every single genre. Yeah. I, you know, I always like to say that, you know, soulfulness comes in lots of different shapes and sizes and colors. And it's not just in one kind of music. Joni Mitchell and Aretha Franklin, they're very different, mm-hmm. but they're both soulful in their own way. Paul Simon has, and James Taylor, they're not R&B singers, but they have their own soulfulness. It's very, very special the way that they craft things. And I think that there's a soulfulness to Willie Nelson. I mean, I think that there's, that is what really attracts me. Um, outside of that, I just love great songwriting, no matter what genre. And I love really well-crafted lyrics and it comes in lots of eras. You know, there's great songs that were big hits in the eighties, nineties, seventies that you strip it all back to acoustic. And you're like, that's a great song because it can stand on its own. For me, a lot of people who have, I guess what you're saying, soul within their singing are people who are just really comfortable in their own vocal skin, no matter what that is. And they're not trying to be anything. I think there's a lot of people out there trying to be uh, like a pop star or Mm -hmm. trying to be like even Aretha when there's already Aretha, you know, we don't need another one. It's so easy to go down that route of being like, I need to be like this person. Is that something that you have done yourself? Well, I've definitely been down the path of of imitation when I first started. Absolutely. Because how else can you can you learn? Um, I think it's the very, very rare person that just automatically sounded exactly like who they were. Mm-hmm. Even the greats went through periods of, of uh, imitation. However, I never really struggled with the like, this is part of the reason that the label and I butted heads is because they, you know, a label in particularly anybody who wants to make money in the popular music scene right now wants you just to sound like somebody else. And I kept saying, if I sound like somebody else, I'm already too late. They're already here. Making a song or making a record or having a sound that sounds like someone else is just seemed very futile to me and and pointless. Thankfully, they didn't want me to sound like someone else. They signed me for my voice, but they wanted to, they're always looking for like, let's just do that thing that somebody else did that was already popular. And I I play a game, going off on a tangent, but I do play a game called Name That Tone. I like to brag that I can name anybody's tone in two notes. And if you don't have a tone, I can name in a couple notes, you know, I mean, the Nancy Wilson's, Ella Fitzgerald, Mina Simone, Ethel Merman, Barbara Cook, the list goes on and on. Aretha, Whitney, Joni, these women have unmistakable, incredible, unique tone. I don't want to sound like somebody else. When somebody says, oh, you remind me of somebody great, I think it's a huge compliment, but I would never want to be, have somebody say like, oh, she just sounds like facsimile of so-and-so. That would be 
a knife to the heart. You know what I mean? I would never want that because we already have an Aretha and she's already perfect. And we already have a Nina and she was perfectly her. Yeah, for sure. How come you go back and train in classical? Well, I never stopped. Yeah, I never stopped um, training classically um, because I just think that it's the best foundation for, for healthy singing. So I always, always check back. And I think my classical voice is, is, and then a woman's voice really matures and gets really velvety and juicy when she's in her thirties and into her forties. So I think that now is probably the best my classical side of things has ever felt, which is exciting. And I, I go back and work on things that I was, haven't worked on in a long time. I just think it's a great foundation. I think it's like ballet and figure painting, you know, like before you kind of expand upon the theme, making sure that the original, the original is still intact. And would you ever go back and perform in that genre? I have no interest in performing opera per se, but I love classically adjacent things. And I've, I do a lot, a lot of that still, you know, I don't think I'd ever want to do opera. I have no interest, but I love singing concerts and songs and new works in particular. I like using that voice. And I've I had a song cycle written for me by my friend Teddy, and uh, it was definitely one of the hardest things I've ever sung. And that was really exciting, and I really needed to be able to say I can do it because the the younger self really sneaks in and says, you can't do that. You weren't accepted in that world. Like, you're not going to be able to do that, you know? So walking out of that and saying I, I did that felt really good. Tell me, you're now an independent artist, aren't you? I am, yeah. Yeah, and tell me about the difference of being with the label. You touched on that a bit, but why you became an independent artist and how you're finding that? Well, I was dropped. I mean, I was scared to be dropped and and thought it would be the worst thing that could ever happen, and then it happened and happens to a lot of artists, and I did not know what to do next, and the last several years have been figuring that out, you know? I found that I really really like most things about being independent way more than I liked being with a label. Mm. Really the only thing I miss is the the money, the checkbook and the power that they have. They still have quite a bit of power as by comparison. Mm. I miss that. I would I would like to be in those rooms and be in those meetings and have the money to get my music more places. The songs we hear the most are the ones that the most money is thrown to and it's just a reality of our society. But on the other side I get full creative freedom and I have nobody breathing down my neck and I have a team of supportive people who help me create. That is like a huge gift to an artist. So I think that the good outweighs the bad for sure. And I'm glad I had the experience at the label because I learned a lot. What does being an independent artist involve? You must have to do a lot. Well, I do have to do a lot. I will preface this by saying I don't do anything alone. I have a huge team of people, my management. I have a day-to-day manager that keeps everything in order and line. I have a music manager. I have a personal manager. I have agents. I have people that help me do graphics and help me with scheduling. I have people that help me with merch and buying merch and ordering and getting designs. And so I don't do anything alone. However, every single design element, creative element, from merch to font to photos to hiring every single aspect does ultimately come from me. I think my 
team learned early on that I really l like to control things. And so they were like, L you know, I think it's in our best interest to let Morgan do what she wants to do and, and help lift her up. And then if we really object to something, we'll tell her. <laughs> and um, it's been really, really, the freedom of that has been amazing. I, I think I really thrive in that kind of environment. And I felt a lot of stress at the label when people were trying to control me. I don't really love that feeling. So it's a, there's a lot involved because I don't have international distribution and I don't have, there is, if you see anything getting done, like I do all my own social media and if there's music anywhere being listened to, it's because somebody physically had to do it and make a phone call and, and it's really, it's like grassroots. So there's a lot that I label handles that you realize, wow, we have to pick up the pieces of that and do it ourselves. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Here is our quickfire round. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Music or lyrics? Ooh, lyrics. Cats or dogs? Oh, don't make me choose dogs. <laughs> Creativity or logic? Creativity. Plane or train? Plane. Beer or wine? Wine. Sweet treats or savory snacks? Sweet treats all the live long day. <laughs> City or countryside? City. Matching or odd socks? Matching. Guitar or piano? Don't tell my husband, but piano. <laughs> Friday night in or Friday night out? In, 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 in. Modern or vintage? Vintage. Black and white or technicolor? Black and white. Moose or mouse? <laughs> uh, mouse. Bah. This is the part of the podcast where I give you a fun fact about the guest. Now, as I said, Morgan has worked in loads of different genres from opera to Broadway to soul. However, I first got to know her work when she worked with Postmodern Jukebox. If you don't know Postmodern Jukebox, they are a YouTube channel run by Scott Bradley that take modern genres and transform them into vintage genres like swing and jazz. The YouTube channel has become so popular it has almost 4.8 million subscribers and 1.5 billion views across the channel and uses some of the world's top singers and musicians. I would really suggest you go check them out if you haven't already, especially Morgan's version of Aerosmith's Dream On that she sings with them. What has been your greatest challenge throughout your whole career so far? One of the most consistent things about my life and my career has been rejection 
uh, rejection has been a huge part of my path and definitely more important and more prevalent than success or than triumph. You know, when I was dropped, my manager, you know, I was very, I felt ashamed and I didn't want to tell anybody and I felt sad and I felt rejected and I felt like a failure, all the things you feel. <laughs> and I was, was crying and he said, why are you crying? And I said, I feel ashamed. And he said, you need to remember that everybody you've ever admired went through this. This is a huge part of a story for a lot of artists throughout history. And rejection is a huge part of your story. You constantly like, get back up. That is the theme of my life. It's like finding another door, <laughs> finding another way in, finding another way to do the thing. I mean, it's just like, it's been one of the most powerful parts of me learning how to be an artist and a person. So I think that now, of course, it still knocks me down. You know, as many times as you do it, you still like think, why can't I get your break and self-pity and, and all sorts of things that come with it. Why can't it be like other people's careers? Why can't this be easy? Why can't that be easy? And, and now I, you know, my husband, Doug, one time said, you know, it's, I just don't think that it's going to be easy for you. Like maybe the acceptance of that is the, is the lesson. You know, why can't it be this? Why can't, well, there's a reason that I keep, I find my triumphs around these huge, huge obstacles and that's my journey. Mm -hmm. So now I'm, I'm really starting to accept that more and, and be at peace with it. People always ask me, how do you handle, like when I was an actor, how do you handle all the rejection? How do you handle the, this, you don't handle it. It's like, are you going to be the last one standing? It's going to be you in rejection up until the last day. Are you going to still say, oh, I'm, st I'm still here? Not just handle it, but are you going to wait to find a way to triumph in the face of it, you know? On the opposite side of that, then, what is success to you? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. Because I, all joking aside, I always say, I don't feel like a success. I don't, I have a real, tr I real trouble with that word. People always think I sound ungrateful when I say that. I think like my friends will be like, don't say that you're a success. And I'm not saying it, but to fish, you know, nothing I do feels like I thought it would. And I mean, that's life. So I, I'm constantly redefining what is success. And maybe that's what drives me to keep going. Maybe if I embraced the word success and thought of myself as that word, I would have more acceptance and joy and less sadness. I don't know. Mm. It's easy for me to look at others and say that person's successful, that person's successful based on outside things that I know nothing about, mm -hmm. not even knowing their life, not knowing their mind, not knowing their heart. It's very easy for us all to judge someone else and say they're successful, they aren't. Because I think a lot of people would look at you and say, this is a very successful woman. Yes, I think so. I mean, I always said when I was younger, when I was a teenager, I would say, all I want is to be able to make a living only making music. And so when I'm being down on myself or I'm being somehow ungrateful or if I've lost sight of my life, I think about that girl and I say, you know what? You did that. You should be grateful for that. That is a success. And is there one big umbrella of what success is or are they every single day? Are the little things that you get better at in life, are they all little mini successes rather than, I think the idea of overall looking back at my life, that is an overwhelming idea. What were you a success? <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? But can I say to myself, 
I did that better than I did it before. I succeeded at that. I can do that for myself. I think that I constantly try to get better and I'm in therapy and I'm in lessons and I'm, I want to be better at being a person. And I think I'm succeeding at that. Do you ever doubt your ability? I do not doubt my ability. I'm very confident in what I can do with my instrument, which I'm very thankful about. Mm. But I've also put in my 10, 20, 30,000 hours. Mm. There are things other people do better, but nobody's me. I had a teacher that used to say to me, an acting teacher, that if I would do something good, he would say, if they're susceptible to you, then that's it. You got it. If they're not susceptible to you, you'll never win them over. And so that myth put in my mind, it's really about what someone else wants. If someone else likes what I do, then they're going to love me. And if they don't like what I do, they'll never love me. I'm not going to win them over. You've put in a lot of work. Yeah. How much of that, what you've done with your voice and anyone does with their voice, how much is talent and how much is hard work? It really depends because uh, every single person is, I'll speak for myself. I think it's 60-40, I think, for me, talent to work, or maybe 50-50. I work really, really hard. I'm like a scrappy, hustling runt of the litter, just like clawing up a hill. <laughs> and I think there are people that are like, were born with maybe a lot of talent and didn't want to work hard or didn't have them that in them or didn't work hard. I think there are a lot of people that we never heard of because they didn't put in the work. And I think there are a lot of people that work really hard and hustle and aren't as talented as other people. And I'm beginning to think in my advancing years that, uh, that the hard work part is definitely more important. You have just released an album with a bunch of amazing women singers. And is this your brainchild? This is your thing, isn't it? She is risen. It is, yes. It's called She is Risen, and it's selections from Jesus Christ Superstar, volume one. We're working on the next volume of of songs. Uh, we recorded the entire score with a female cast, female engineering team, female orchestra. I produced it and I played Jesus and I cast it and I, it was totally my brainchild. And then I brought together some, of course, incredible people that helped me make it possible because I can't do it on my own, but it was, it's been a labor of love for the last three years. And how did this come about? Why, why Jesus Christ Superstar? Um, it, it was like, actually a dream. I had a dream and I said to two of my best friends, oh, I had a dream that I did a female Jesus Christ Superstar with Shoshana Bean. And they were like, you should do that. And I was like, eh, where would I do it? And they're like, let's do it as a concert. So I was like, well, I'd really love to do a concept album, but let's do a concert first. See if anybody likes it. We put together this incredible cast. I really wanted it to be diverse and I wanted it to be different ages and types and of women, you know, um, because representation is really, really important to me. So I wanted that to be a part of it, not just like a gimmick. Mm -hmm. We put together this amazing cast. We did this concert. It sold out in like a day. We did this awesome concert. And the momentum of that really gave us this idea that we wanted to keep going and, and make this concept recording. And it ended up being a disastrous process in a lot of ways. And we raised the money through pledge music, pledge music went bankrupt, took everybody's money. It was a disaster but I just kind of kept finding a little more wind in my sails and just trying to get it out to the world because I really felt in, like it was important for people to hear because these voices are so amazing. I mean, it's, 
I could never have assembled that this many superstars at one time. It was really um, very, very lucky that they all said yes. And you're a massive ambassador for women in the music industry in general. Do you think women get the recognition that they should do within the industry? No, no, of course not. Mainly because we're just so outnumbered, particularly in the recording side of things. I mean, we're outnumbered in theater too and opera too, but I'd never met two female engineers before this project. I had never met them. I had never seen them in any studio I'd ever been in. And so just sheer numbers. It's a boys club. Not to say that the the men I've worked with in my life weren't accepting. Uh, they they are. They're wonderful, wonderful men. And, and we need strong allies and female adjacent creatives, of course. It's just a boys game. And then you just think of the people you've worked with before, and it's usually men. So you call the people your buddies, and then they call their buddies, and they're usually men. It's just usually rooms full of men. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it'll never change if we don't start forcing the issue and and making sure that we put women on the forefront of these, particularly in jobs like mixing, mastering, producing. I think a lot of the powerful positions as well. You know, you have quite a lot of female singers, but within record labels or people who are producing plays and musicals, often those people are men. Almost all the leadership at the label were, were men. Um, when a woman was brought in during my time there, she she wasn't female friendly. She wasn't a feminist, you know. So it's like it's 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 interesting because sometimes even when women are allowed in those leadership positions, they're not necessarily going out of their way to help other women. And it's um, that's what I loved about this project was that it was just so collaborative. And I think in general, women really love to lift other women up. And if we force them to constantly compete over one job and then people are like, oh, women are so competitive. Well, we're competing because there's only one job for us. There's only one slot that you're going to give to a woman and you're forcing all the women to compete. And men don't have to compete over these finite amount of jobs. It's just the whole mentality of it is I think that the way the society is created or the way society is laid out has created these competitive subtexts and, and a competitive way of being because we know that there's going to only be one or two slots for us. Mm-hmm. So I just think that the more we can put women in leadership roles and ease the tension of, of having to be a trailblazer and instead just allow them to do the jobs they want to do. If you could wake up tomorrow having gained one quality or ability, what would it be? I would play the piano like Nina Simone. For sure. And specifically like Nina or Aretha, not like a concert pianist, Mm -hmm. although they both could hold their own there, I'm sure. But the way they accompany themselves is so special. And I love the recordings where they are accompanying themselves. Sarah Vaughn also played piano. Like I think some of the best singers played piano for themselves and understood harmony in a really, really complex, amazing way. And I would just kill to be able to do that. I wish I'd stuck with piano and that's just so special. If you had any advice for someone trying to enter the entertainment industry, what would it be? You know, I was talking this morning about how much the industry has changed and the music business and all that. And the way people consume content Mm -hmm. has changed a lot. It's good to remember that nothing has to be the one perfect thing that's going to define you for the rest of your life because our society doesn't consume art that way anymore. And it's okay to just keep making things and putting them out, putting out the little breadcrumbs and see who follows. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. rather than I'm going to make one perfect loaf of bread and it'll be the only loaf of bread that there is and everyone better eat it, right? That was the way we used to do it. And now it's really like, keep trying, laying out the crumbs and creating something. And along the way, you will find your voice. If you find your authentic voice, chances are you will also find an audience simultaneously because the more authentically you're creating, people respond to to that. They just do. In the time that I didn't quite know who I was, I also didn't have an audience. And the more I just, I really am like, yeah, this is who I am. I'm very, very comfy in this woman. I also find people saying, yeah, yeah, we agree. We want to come with you on this journey. How important has the internet and YouTube for you been in finding your journey? Because you've got your YouTube channel and PMJ. It's been totally helpful. I mean, the fact that people can all over the world can find me and that certainly wasn't the case 10, 15 years ago, mm-hmm. even, you know, so the fact that someone can find me in Poland or Florida or Seattle or anywhere in the world, that's pretty amazing. And if you can find pockets where you have fans, you didn't even know were there, how amazing, you know, and that's been the basis, obviously, for me being able to tour as much as I do. Yeah, I think YouTube is a great place. I mean, obviously, for me, it's been absolutely amazing because it allows you to have control over your life and what you're putting out and meet lots of different types of people and get yourself out to lots of different types of people. And it's I find it a little bit of a shame because a lot of young artists, I think, kind of poo-poo it. It's like, oh, I've just got to put out a YouTube video. But actually, I feel like it's given me so much control over my my own career. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. You had one thing. I'm sure you've got loads of projects coming up. So tell us about your projects. But if there's one thing that you could do in the future that is even completely fantasy, what would it be? I'd like to like premiere like a new work on one of the operatic stages. I would really, I think that'd be good for my psyche to return to that world, the operatic world. Obviously, when all of this clears and we're able to tour again, I'll be really looking forward to touring my new album because my album came out February 7th. And then we were just planning all this touring that has now been postponed. So I'll be looking forward to playing this music off my album, Memphis Magnetic, which is soul music that means a lot to me. And I love this album. So I'll be looking forward to touring that album. I have a symphonic show planned for that album that um, we're going to be premiering next spring, The Sound of Memphis with full orchestra which I think is going to be so amazing because I love singing with an orchestra and I have a a big commission for next year in the kind of in the classical realm that I'm looking forward to. I'd like to keep expanding my collaborative web, not even necessarily more genres, but maybe bringing them all together. Final question. Yes. Who or what inspires you? You know, my, my husband inspires me. He gets up every single day and practices and works on his craft. Even though he's an expert in his craft, he works on it every single day. Your husband's a guitarist, isn't he? Yes, Doug Womble. I'm inspired by people like really prolific artists like Paul Simon and Joni Mitchell that just continue to make albums of great songwriting. And they do it for the, the sake of, of making art. I'm inspired by people that continue to get better because that's what I aim to be, you know, that continue to grow and and are able to say, you know, I could have handled that differently. And I watched the BC Boys documentary the other day, which was amazing. And um, he was, you know, one of the guys was talking and about how one of their views had changed about feminism and women and all that. And, mm-hmm. and he said, well, I'd rather be called a hypocrite, better to be a hypocrite than to stay the same forever. I admire people who want to learn and want to become better people even if it's small, small incremental changes and small growth. I admire that. 
What a beautiful way to end. <laughs> Thank you. For Thank you so here. much for having me. It's so nice chatting with you. Bye. Big thanks to Morgan. She's doing shows every single week online at the moment on Stage It. So that's stageit.com slash Morgan James online. Also, do go check out She Has Risen. It is beautiful. It has some of the world's top female singers on it. And it's just really wonderful to see something that is completely designed and produced by women in a very male-dominated industry. So you can find that on Spotify or at the website, which is she-is-risen.net. To check out Morgan's work, head to her website at morganjamesonline.com and I'd also really suggest you go find her on Instagram and YouTube. She does covers all the time in loads of different genres and she has an awesome, awesome voice. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us on your podcast app of choice. It really helps us get these stories out there to more people. If you'd like to email us and give us your feedback, we would love to hear what you think. So you can do so at goodjobatbethroars.com. And if you'd like to support the podcast and get early access to the episodes, head over to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash bethroars. Once again, big thank you to Morgan, thank you to James and Kazra at One Fine Play for the pre-edits, and to my wonderful producer Tom, who's been working super, super hard to get these episodes out to you guys. And of course, thank you to you guys for listening. See you in the next one. Bye. Good job. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.